Hello, I'm Greg. Let's have an inappropriate conversation about, well, about this. As I lay sleeping in my room, I heard an elfy scuffle going on. Well, it seemed to me that more than just a few had gathered there to dance till dawn. They're coming in their dozens, coming in their singles and their pairs. I don't know what they're doing, but of this you can't be sure. There's a party going on upstairs. And there before my eyes to my surprise Well, there was hookers, drunks and junkies And loads of other shady looking guys Well, I shouted out at you, lad How come you've been invited? It's not fair But they all replied in unison The host said, bring your friends To the party going on upstairs And the boy was showing up To see what's going on My best shoes and a bottle of cologne And I thought I'd hit the shower before I left And then I heard the phone And then I heard the most amazing thing It really caught me unawares Or the voice said, don't you bother Trying to clean yourself The party going on upstairs And the blame was showing up To see what's going on That's The Electrics, a band that describes themselves as a Celtic folk rock band from their 1998 album, Living It Up When I Die, the first track, Party Going On Upstairs. As you've no doubt noticed, I played more of that track than I've played of any track before, any snippet of any track before, 
and I've used it to substitute this week and this week only as the theme music for inappropriate conversations. Part of the reason that I did this is because I really want to spend most of this show focusing on my thoughts about that actual song, Party Going On Upstairs. And the other reason is that I've searched high and low, looked in iTunes, looked in Zune, looked elsewhere online, and I can't find the availability of this particular song anywhere. I would be uh, delighted, in fact, if the record label that originally put out the album uh, would reissue the record or if somebody else could get the rights to it. Or frankly, any of the other older songs by the group The Electrics would become available again. In the meantime, I'm not going to lose any sleep over providing you this glimpse into what this song is like. On the one hand, it's a little bit frustrating uh, playing something for somebody that you probably can't go out and get yourself. But on the other hand, it's a great song. In fact, it might be my favorite song in all of Christian rock music, partly because it's not just Christian rock. In fact, it's a band that doesn't tend to advertise itself as Christian rock. They're living um, their faith and they're sharing their beliefs, but they're not uh, pigeonholing themselves the way Christian bands so often do. In this case, the song has religious overtones, and I intend to explore those today. One of the things I want to do today is first let you know that the focus of the next inappropriate conversation will be much more secular. Looking back over the past couple of weeks, it occurs to me that I've you know, run the risk of getting a little bit preachy. I've shared a different drummer from one of my favorite theologians, and I've shared another different drummer that has a, you know, is a character in a TV show, a strong religious element to it. I've quoted some scripture, and I'm going to quote more today, but next week, we'll look at a far more secular topic as we hit the 50th of these inappropriate conversations. For now, though, I want to test the idea of what it means to think of myself as having recently gotten just a little bit preachy by lining that up against what it actually sounds like for me to share a sermon. So I've got in front of me a message that I shared in church a few years ago, uh, maybe even four or five years ago, as a matter of fact, related to this particular song. Because it came to me uh, as something that I wanted to share, both related to what I consider to be one of the more controversial verses in the Bible, and also because I felt like I was lucky that I got my hands on this track, that I was just kicking around in a used record store in the Midwestern part of the United States, on vacation, killing time, literally, while the rest of my family members were off doing other sorts of shopping. And my son and I were in a store, and while I was uh, you know, giving him an opportunity to look at video games and other stuff, I was kicking through the dollar bin. And for a, for $1.99, I found the Living It Up When I Die CD by The Electrics. In a minute, I'll tell you about my relationship with the band or my history as a fan of the band. I knew who they were instantly, and I'd never seen this release before. In fact, I've never seen this release since. So I had to snap it up. And after listening to the you know, album in its entirety, and the first track in particular, on a fairly regular basis, I really felt like I had something to share and that it was worth sharing in church. So for the first time ever, I'm going to share something with you that I think is probably more uh, suitable for the pulpit. And perhaps we'll get to the end of this particular inappropriate conversation and say, well, that doesn't really sound all that different. And I'm not sure whether I'll take that as a good thing or a bad thing. But uh, it will certainly, for me, help clear up the idea of whether I've truly been preachy in the last couple of weeks. Because if this sounds just like the last two weeks, then that's a pretty fair indication that I probably have been preachy. But first, it only makes sense to start with our different drummer. Because our different drummer is going to be this band, The Electrics.
Wikipedia describes the Electrics as a Celtic rock band from Dumbarton, Scotland. They formed in 1988 when former Infrapenny members Sammy Horner, who plays uh, the bass guitar and does most of the vocal, and Paul Baird on guitar, asked drummer Dave MacArthur and saxophone and keyboard player Alan Hewitt to join them for a gig at Glasgow's Impact Festival. They would later release their first uh, album on cassette. If you jump all the way down to the end of this very short Wikipedia entry, it also mentions that the band has uh, not planned any new releases. They haven't released an album in several years. They did do at least one album after the one that I own, and yet they have no plans to disband. So on the one hand, they're saying, you know, we're, we're not breaking up, but we're not doing any shows in the future. And so they're quite literally on hiatus. The current members of the group are Sammy Horner, Jim Devlin, Jim Cosgrove, and Tim Cotterell. But... I'm sure that the band members were just a little bit different on the album that I have. That's what Wikipedia has to say. As an American, though, I didn't encounter any of that initial uh, Scottish background from a band that plays a Scottish and Irish style of music with often, though not exclusively, a Christian message and more than a little bit of rock to go with it. Now, I don't think they put this combination together in the same kind of rock and roll way that Flogging Molly does. And they certainly don't bring the political aspect to things that Black 47 does. So despite the fact that my particular uh, mix of topics from inappropriate conversations would lean me toward the electrics from the perspective of their faith, I'm also personally just as, uh, just as interested in hearing the music of Flogging Molly or Black 47 as well. But for now, we'll focus on the electrics. I encountered them because they had signed a record contract with an American label called Five Minute Walk. Five Minute Walk is the one that released the CD that I have, but the first one I picked up, also at a used record store, because the electrics are not easy to come by, featured tracks from albums that they had previously released in Europe. So some songs from those other albums, and, and I was quite taken by it. It had a, a kind of a, a jig and reel sort of an instrumental, a version of uh, the Irish Rover. Um, songs that played up what we might consider to be some you know, traditional Irish-type greetings. Uh, Get to heaven half an hour before the devil knows you're dead, for example. And uh, two very strong tracks near the end of the album, the American release of the album, that I enjoyed. One called uh, Two Buns and one called uh, Pour Me a Pint. Now, the Two Buns song, the essential chorus, was about the greed, avarice, and materialism of our modern world. And uh, the basic line is, it seems to me that if they had two buns, they'd eat them, as opposed to sharing with other people who would have a greater need that um, so many people in our society are more inclined to gluttony than they are to sharing with others in need. And the other one, Pour Me a Pint, refers not to what you might expect. It's not an Irish drinking song in the sense that it's about um, having a Guinness or having a black and tan. In this case, the pint that he's talking about is, is more of the religiously themed pint of quote-unquote living water. And it's a testimony from somebody who meets somebody at a bar who hasn't seen him in a long time and wants to know why he's looking so good. And of course, one of the reasons he's looking so good is that he has changed his life and given up the, uh, the hard-drinking ways that he had been following before. So if anything, the earlier release, uh, self-titled The Electrics, from uh, the American CD, maybe even a touch more heavy-handed than the subtlety that I think I pick up throughout the Living It Up When I Die album. The other album that I've got some tracks from by them is called Real Folk Rock and Roll. That was released in 2006, so they've been dormant pretty much that long. And the song that I've got from there, the one that I enjoy the most, is actually a remake of the Violent Femmes track, Rejoice and Be Happy. Now, it seems odd to highlight that as being a remake, because the Violent Femmes' original um, song, Rejoice and Be Happy, owns a, a big debt to Matthew, 
the gospel writer, because the lyrics are pretty much picked up right off the uh, book of Matthew. Rejoice and be happy when men revile you, uh, just like our Savior taught us to do. Rejoice and be glad when for his name's sake they speak all manner of evil and against you they hate. My favorite part about that track comes a little later, where uh, he, uh, the singer reminds us that we are the salt of the earth. If we're not salty, what are we worth? And you can read the term salty there in more than in more than one way. I personally read the term salty as being an indication that it's perfectly appropriate to speak freely and to speak clearly and to speak from the heart. And sometimes when you do that, you'll be using language that is, to say the least, colloquial. But uh, the reality is we need to speak to people in ways that they'll hear us and that they'll understand. And if you're speaking in King James English, because for whatever reason, you're one of those people who believes that the Bible was originally written in King James English from the 16th century, when in fact, it wasn't written in English at all. Well, you're not going to reach people for two reasons. First, your sense of history and languages is wrong. And second off, your heart's not in the right place. So what the electrics have done is they've simply said, no, we've got a style of music we like to play. It's got Scottish roots, it's got Irish roots, it's fun, it's upbeat, but that doesn't mean that a message can't be included along the way. I'm not going to attempt the lineup because the ins and outs of the band are, are far too complicated. What I want to do instead is simply share uh, my take on the lyrics to the song Party Going On Upstairs, just in case it was hard for somebody to make out. When you compress a track, it can sometimes make it rather difficult to pick up everything. So here's my take on the lyrics, just shooting from memory. As I was sitting in my room, I heard an upbeat shuffle going on. It seemed to me that more than just a few had gathered there to dance till dawn. They're coming in their dozens. They're coming in their singles and their pairs. I don't know what they're doing, but of this you can be sure. There's a party going on upstairs. The blind are showing up to see what's going on, and the hungry for a banquet fit for kings. And the lame kept me awake with their dancing all night long, and the ones who couldn't speak started to sing. The poor required no ticket. It was free for everyone. There were people there relieved of all their cares. You see, everyone was welcome. You just had to say you'd come to the party going on upstairs. So I drew back my curtain, and there before my eyes, to my surprise, there were hookers, drunks, and junkies, and loads of other shady-looking guys. I shouted out, Hey, you lads, how come you've been invited? It's not fair. But they all replied in unison. The host said, bring your friends to the party going on upstairs. So I got out my best suit, my best shoes, and a bottle of cologne. I thought I'd hit the shower before I left, but then I heard the phone. The voice there said the most amazing thing. It really caught me unawares. It said, don't you bother trying to clean yourself for the party going on upstairs. The blind were showing up to see what's going on and the hungry for a banquet fit for kings. And the lame kept me awake with their dancing all night long, and the ones who couldn't speak started to sing. The poor required no ticket. It was free for everyone. There were people there relieved of all their cares. You see, everyone was welcome. You just had to say you'd come to the party going on upstairs. It's not an unusual thing for me to hear a song that sticks with me and to pick up an album in the bargain bin, in the dollar rack, that I cherish as much as I would have if I'd had to spend 20 bucks to get, to get a brand new copy. This is one of those examples, and it's an example that I've been able to use to share my perspective on John chapter 14, verse 6. And if you don't know the passage by name, 
It's the one that so often is pulled out and uh, hit over the head of people who are not Christian by Christians who feel that they're allowed to use this verse like it's some sort of weapon, like it's some sort of stick. They take the, uh, the notion that Paul expresses in the book of Ephesians that the Bible can be a sword of the Spirit and forget that it's a sword to use against temptation and not a sword to use against unbelievers when they tell people that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by Him. Some people get confused and think that passage means that they get to decide, armed with their sword, armed with John 14, verse 6, who gets in and who doesn't, because the Bible told them so. I'm happy to say that both me and the electrics have a different point of view. It wouldn't shock me if uh, people have doubts about whether or not I'm truly as uh, religiously conservative as I say, because being a radical moderate, I'm going to be in possession of certain views which conservative people would think of as being horribly liberal, and also certain views that liberal people would regard as being horribly conservative. It is one of the benefits of being a radical moderate. I get to annoy almost everyone. But I am conservative or, uh, or orthodox when it comes to my religious beliefs, and therefore I wouldn't presume to give anybody a sermon, online or otherwise, without quoting scripture first. In this case, the scripture to support uh, a sermon that I called RSVP is John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7, and Luke chapter 14, ironically, chapter 14, verses 16 to 24. So let's begin with the scripture, and then I will speak to you as if I was trying to relay this sermon once again, this time instead of in front of a congregation of people, most of whom I knew, in front of an online audience that might, for, for uh, all express purposes, be anonymous to me. Let's begin with John's Gospel, chapter 14, from the beginning. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. This is Jesus speaking. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Luke chapter 14, beginning with verse 16. Jesus said, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, 
I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the towns and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in, so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. That's the Gospel of Luke. Allow me to emphasize a couple of verses here, and uh, rather than going New International Version, as I did, I want to go King James Version as well. Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. For I say unto you, that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. A handful of people are planning a special New Year's Eve party, even more spectacularly than the 1999 New Millennium party choices. In this case, it is not the end of the century, or even the end of the age, so to speak, but the end of time. Again, lots of people are hosting heaven parties, but only one will be at the place to be, his house. We're lucky, unworthy, that there will be even one. The Heavenly Father is blessing His Son to host such a party. From today's reading, Jesus has told us that it's going to be huge. Huge. He's preparing many rooms. For the first time in a very long time, He's going to pop the cork. His guests will drink the new wine with Him. This party, being at the place to be, will be beyond our imaginations. No fear, jealousy, anger, tears, sickness, etc. Just pure joy. I'm going to make a truth claim here. To acknowledge that such a party will take place at all is to acknowledge Jesus as having the authority to invite whomever he will. It presumes something heavenly can occur if we, as some people do, assume that it is unfair or arrogant for Christ to invite only some. By this I mean that it could only be unfair if there is a son who's hosting a party in his father's house. Look at the parable in Luke 14. Many are invited, a great many, but few will come. Some are hanging their future plans on their work or their good deeds. Others are just positive that the answer is like a beauty contest, the best tan, the greenest lawn, the most elegantly decorated home, all these are by far more important than attending some party. Recall that there are multiple parties planned on this night. More than just a few others promise that theirs will also be held at the Father's house, or something just the same, or perhaps even better. As a Christian, I have two problems with that situation. One is logical. If the son's party is exclusive, and that's the complaint about John 14, verse 6, that it's an exclusive claim, and the others are at a different place, then the others can't be the same. An invitation, by definition, is less than the original. The other hinges on this whole concept of exclusive. Critics are correct to say that John 14 makes an exclusive claim, but it must be understood in the context of Luke chapter 14. Notice that we didn't begin the reading in John 14 with verse 6. That's the verse you're going to most often hear quoted. 
No, the start of the chapter provides a crucial context that connects with the, cha- with the passage in Luke 14. When is Jesus going to use the rooms? He says he has prepared for us. We assume that it's the end of time, right? The second coming, the new heaven and the new earth. Luke 14 describes, on one level, the same event. It is the wedding feast of the Lamb. Let's consider the two together. Yes, Jesus has a specific guest list. And yes, it started with his earthly ministry, primarily among the Jews, his kindred. All he invited would not come, only a remnant. Was it exclusive of him in a negative sense, like a country club guest list? No, he invited them all. He also invited Gentiles, but some of them wouldn't come either. So he asked his friends, the ones who'd already said, I am there, man. And he told them to spread the words to their friends, their neighbors, co-workers, strangers, the sick, the imprisoned, any who might be, quote, free, unquote, anyone who might be free to come. Now, exactly how exclusive is that? Jesus's claim to exclusivity, I am the way, the only one hosting a party that's actually at the Father's house, is too widely misunderstood. I think the group The Electrics got it right in the song, Party Going On Upstairs, when it talks about the host saying, bring your friends, and everyone's invited, you just have to say you'll come to the party going on upstairs. Jesus didn't say, I don't want you at my party. He said, all you need is an invitation, and I invite all who would come. Jesus didn't say, you have to pay your own way, invest in a timeshare, drive the right kind of car, or run in select circles. He said, you just need to RSVP. Tell me, he said, that you believe I'm hosting this party in God's house with his authority to invite whomever I want, and tell me you want to come. Is this arrogance? Is he insufficiently universal in his outreach? Or does he ask nothing more than every new bride and groom ask? Share in this glorious occasion, but you must RSVP first. Now imagine, if you will, that you've gone to the mailbox, and in the mail that you received today from the post office, you have an invitation to a wedding. What is that going to look like? Well, first off, as you open it up, you're going to find a return envelope with an RSVP card. But in addition to that, what you're going to have is an actual formal invitation. Now, that invitation can actually range anywhere from, come on down, y'all, we're getting hitched, to please accept our invitation to serve as witnesses to the blessed union of naming then the son and who the parents are and the daughter and who the parents are. It can range in formality from one extent to the other. And then there's also that little piece of tissue paper. I've never understood the little piece of tissue paper that comes in the wedding invitation. But the other thing is this, this mail back envelope with the RSVP cards where you're going to say, well, how many of you are coming? Is it just you? Is it you plus a guest? If there's kids invited, you might be asked to break that down. How many adults? How many kids? Some of these RSVP cards are detailed enough that they want to know whether you're going to eat the beef or eat the fish or eat the chicken, depending on what might happen to be on the menu. The bottom line is that there's nothing inappropriate about the bride and groom asking what they ask 
of the people they've invited to their wedding. Share in this glorious occasion, but you must RSVP first. I don't believe there is anyone excluded from this New Year's gathering except those who refuse to come. Luke 14 makes it clear that Jesus will refuse to admit those who say no or those who refuse to reply at all. But that's it. How do we manage those who never got the same letter in the mail that we did? Or those who couldn't read or fully comprehend the words? To me, this is the principal objection to John 14, verse 6. What about those who never heard the word that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Those who never understood what Jesus meant by, no one comes to the Father except through me. I would say that there's a lot of people in church today who don't fully comprehend what Jesus meant by that. Well, this objection to John 14, verse 6 has two sources, and I'm going to attack them aggressively. So brace yourself a little bit, because I'm going to try to my best to take these two ideas apart. First, the non-Christian objection. It goes something like this. And on the whole, good guy and his family on a remote Polynesian island never heard the gospel and won't know, quote, the only way, unquote. And that's an unfair abomination that I won't be party to. I won't accept this invitation if that man and his family didn't get the same invitation. Well, Luke 14 tells us that he is inviting strangers, even the illiterate. Now tell me, do you want to know the answer to the question about the family on the remote Polynesian island? Really? Let me ask again. Do you want to know the answer to the question? Do you want to resolve in your head once and for all what the answer is? Or is the question itself nothing but a smokescreen? Nothing but an excuse to not have to answer the question that's being directed to you. Are you going to share in the glorious occasion? Are you going to come to the party? Because if you really want to know the answer, come to the party. RSVP and prepare to meet a thief who was hung on a cross. Prepare to meet your Polynesian family and prepare to meet Lord knows who else. That is who knows. God knows who. Prepare to be amazed at the justice of God, but you will miss out if you aren't there to see it yourself. RSVP. I can imagine the first party icebreaker being people talking about how they got their invitation, because we're not all going to get the same invitation the same way. Second, the Christian objection. Now, there may be people out there listening saying, what? There's a Christian objection? Do you doubt it? To our shame as Christians, there certainly is. In some measure, the non-Christian objection is just a knee-jerk response to an incorrect, quote, Christian, unquote, notion that Jesus meant our way and not his way when he said, no one comes to the Father but by me. The arrogance here is not our Lord's, but some of our fellow believers. And the attitude is not only wrong toward those who feel like Christians have ripped up their invitation and thrown it in their faces. Worse, the attitude is totally condescending toward Jesus himself. Look again at Luke 14. Jesus is inviting a large range of people in a variety of different ways with repeated invitations. Our RSVP cards may be printed on a different cardstock than some others, whether better or worse. We may or may not get that fancy square of tissue paper. 
We may or may not know what that fancy square of tissue paper even signifies, as a matter of fact. Here's the question, though. Who gets to decide? Who makes the call on which cards go to whom? Or who gets a spam email? Or who sees a flyer stuck on the wall in the laundromat? Is it the host of the party? Or is it his friends? In case you're wondering, I'm going to go with the host of the party for my answer here. I've got news for you if you try to use John chapter 14 as a stick. Christ is not offering the world a stick in this passage, but a carrot. It's an invitation to one of the many rooms he is preparing. Not a dress code posted outside the country club, harshly denoting who is and who is not welcome. Jesus does demand an RSVP, yes. But our Lord decides how he will receive guests at his party. We would do well to remember our place. Who are we in the Luke 14 parable? You know, right before our reading today in Luke is the passage about not assuming the best place when you go to a party, else the master may have to ask you to move to a lesser table in order to honor someone more important. Let me just read that, picking up maybe at uh, verse 8, maybe verse 8 through 11 of Luke chapter 14. When some invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come to you and say, Give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The words of Jesus from Luke chapter 14. Jesus reminds us to be humble. If he wants us by his side, he'll bump us up in the seating arrangements. But rather than assuming too much and deciding that we have some say over what Jesus meant when he said, I am the way, is assuming way too much. We need to remember that our job at this party, well, what is our job at this party? It's the wedding feast of the Lamb. Jesus is going to pop the cork on the new wine for the first time since the Last Supper. What is our job at this party? To celebrate. Nothing less, nothing more. The word that we use for it in the church, of course, is a little different. It's praise. One of the things I like about the electrics is in addition to singing this song with really a theologically sound and fairly deep message to offer is the fact that they're offering it with praise. I drew back my curtain. And there before my eyes, to my surprise, were hookers, drunks, and junkies, and loads of other shady-looking guys. And I shouted out, hey, you lads, how come you've been invited? It's not fair. But they all replied in unison. The host said, bring your friends to the party going on upstairs. As a church today, are we bringing our friends to the party going on upstairs? Do we know some people who've decided that that's not the right way to go? that those people shouldn't be welcome, that the drunks and the junkies have no place, and that the party going on upstairs is just to serve our needs and our needs alone? This is the question that's asked by the electrics. And I'm thankful that they asked the question. I'm glad that the CD was available, even if only in a dollar bin, in a, in a city that I was just by happenstance in. 
over on vacation a few weeks ago. But I'm glad that the electrics did it, and I'm glad that I found it. And I'm hopeful that all of us will take from this message that the party going on upstairs is going to go down whether we're there or not, and that we have the privilege of knowing, as Christians, that we've been invited. What are we going to do about it? Amen. Hi there. This is Rick Moyer, the host of the Take Him With You weekly podcast. My wife Amy and I talk every week about all sorts of cool geeky things going on around our house. Plus, we have some uh, positive words of encouragement and then a subject every week that is sure to uh, make you think a little bit and hopefully encourage you for the week to come. That's our goal. Visit us at TakeHimWithYou.com. You can also find us on iTunes. Just search for Take Him With You. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Thanks. Now, normally in a worship service, this would be the place where I would almost certainly be called or feel called to lead in prayer. I'm not going to do it in this particular occasion because, for one thing, I think Inappropriate Conversations is a different program than that. And although I have just shared almost word for word as best as you can extemporaneously, a sermon that I have shared in church just a few years ago, I think that it's probably important to keep kind of a distinction there that the Inappropriate Conversations is a little bit different than that. If you have thoughts, questions, or observations, or just would like to put some dialogue into this Inappropriate Conversation yourself, I can be reached at IC underscore Greg at Hotmail.com. And the website has show notes enabled at HTTP colon slash slash Inappropriate Conversations dot Podbean dot com. Next week, we're going to talk about my favorite form of art available to us in the world today and why I find it so inspiring. In the meantime, thanks for listening. So I got out my best suit, my best shoes and a bottle of cologne. And I thought I'd hit the shower before I left and then I heard the phone. Yourself. The party going on upstairs And the blame was showing up To see what's going on And the hungry for a banquet fit for kings And the lame kept me awake When they're dancing all night long And the ones that couldn't speak started to sing And the poor required no ticket And it's free for everyone Those people never leave to all their cares For everyone was welcome You just had to see it come Music from the CD Living It Up Till I Die on Cerebellum Records, produced by Phil Madeira and Frank Tate. Songs including Party Going On Upstairs and Piping Hot. <laughs>